Hey guys, in this episode of the Road to Ramblings podcast, I talk about the wrath of God, where our hope is found in turning from idolatry, and so I hope you enjoy. Yesterday, I got to do something I've been looking forward to for a very long time, and that is uh, I got to go to Six Flags Over Texas with a, a lot of my good friends from Oklahoma, and uh, it was a blast. Uh, if you are looking for an enjoyable Six Flags Over Texas experience, uh, I would go on a Thursday in July. Uh, it was not too terribly hot. Uh, you know, the park does a really good job of having misters and lots of places to get drinks and some pretty shaded areas. Uh, so it wasn't too terrible. Um, but the heat kept a lot of people away. Uh, there was a point where I was riding one of the roller coasters there. Uh, and I got back to the station and they're like, no one's in line. Do you want to go again? And I was like, uh, sure, absolutely. Uh, so it was quite empty uh, and led to a lot of fun that I got to have with my friends. And uh, one of the things that they were desiring me to do was to go ride the Titan. Now, if you're not familiar with Six Flags Over Texas, the Titan's about a 270, or not 270, probably 230, 240 uh, foot tall roller coaster. And it starts out with that tallest hill. Uh, so you come out of the station and it just clicks up slowly to the pinnacle of that peak. And then it sends you flying off <laughs> the other side. And uh, it was something that in the weeks, if not months leading up to this trip, it was something specifically my friend TJ uh, wanted me to do with him. And little thing about me is that I am quite scared of heights. Uh, I do not enjoy uh, being away from the ground. Uh, and so I, there was many a roller coaster there that I didn't mind riding, uh, the ones that would go so fast that you didn't really know how high up you were. Uh, but the Titan scared the mess out of me. And uh, as soon as they got there, so I'd, I'd been there a couple hours before they arrived, and as soon as the crew from Oklahoma got there, they said, we're going to the Titan right now. Uh, and so we head that direction. I see uh, the orange metal <laughs> above the tree line, and I'm just shaking already more or less. And I go through the entire line with them, trying to psych myself into it, trying to get myself hype enough to uh, brave, <laughs> brave the ride. And, and yet when the gates opened and we were able to take our seats, I walked through the car uh, and waited on the other side, much to the extreme disappointment of my best friend TJ uh, and the others that were there with us. Uh, I just chickened out, and uh, I'm, you know, okay with that. I, I honestly was a little more disappointed in myself on the way home than I thought I would be just reflecting on that. Uh, but I say all of that because the Titan was something that provoked fear in me. Uh, it was something that by the time I got up to the car, I mean, I was sweating. Uh, my hands were very clammy, uh, and it just wasn't happening. And yet there's an aspect of Scripture that I think we don't dwell on and meditate on as much as we should, and that is the fear of the Lord. That is the reality that uh, there is very real uh, wrath of God. Uh, the wrath of God is a very real characteristic. It's a very real attribute of his character, of who he is. And yet, uh, in our love and adoration of God's grace, I think we forget his wrath and his anger. And so uh, 
First Thessalonians chapter one. So if you've been on the journey uh, in these main episodes, you've heard me and, and my good friend Victor walking through this first chapter, First Thessalonians, and it's been a while in this chapter due to camps and in things of that nature. And so I'm excited to wrap it up today and jump into chapter two. Uh, and so I'm going to read First Thessalonians chapter one, verses nine and 10. And, and, I, and my prayer is that it'll become clear why I talked about a roller coaster. Uh, so let us look at this. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse nine and 10. Remember, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. First chapter is full of a lot of encouragement uh, to the church in Thessalonica for their faith and love and hope. Uh, and so verses nine and 10 says, for they, those that had heard about the faith of the Thessalonian church, they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, again, the wrath of God is something I, I honestly don't think a lot about uh, as a follower of Jesus. And yet when we do reflect on his perfect, righteous, just wrath, uh, it should only make the gospel shine that much brighter. And so here, here he's saying, you, the church in Thessalonica, what people are saying about you is that you've turned from idols, which I'll talk about here momentarily, but that you have put your hope in Jesus who rescues you from his wrath. Again, God's wrath towards sin, towards those who... Um, try to live outside of a relationship with him uh, is righteous and just. One sin separates me from the perfection of God's holiness. And, and I think a lot of times in our modern age, uh, we can try and kind of excuse that away or try and downplay that reality or try and apologize on God's behalf. And yet, if we and, and I've said this before on podcasts, and it's kind of cheesy and cliche, but it's true. If, if I was to fight for what is right, if I was to fight for my rights, then I would be in hell. Like that is what I deserve. I deserve the wrath of God because of my sin. And this is something that's uh, pretty, it's, it's sprinkled throughout uh, the whole entire Bible. Uh, just this idea that we are deserving of wrath. It's not a popular belief, but it is the darkness through which the light of the gospel shines that much brighter. And so when I encountered the Titan, when I encountered this roller coaster, it, it, it caused me to fear and it caused me to live in light of that. Now we, as followers of Jesus, it's super clear here in verse 10, this is our fear of God, our acknowledgement of his righteous wrath is not something that uh, provokes the same feelings as the Titan did for me. We should not have sweaty palms and shaking limbs when we think about God's wrath because God's wrath has been, it's been poured out upon his son. Uh, it's been uh, dealt with by the cross of Christ. What I do want us to think about is, is that, that greatness, that great wrath that was headed our direction, again, has been covered by Jesus. 
that has Jesus has rescued us from the wrath of God. We have been removed from that equation. It would have been like if someone in a really, really weird scenario required someone to ride the Titan. It would have been like TJ riding the Titan on my behalf so that I didn't have to. And so it's kind of that idea that Jesus has rescued us from this thing that would provoke fear were it not for him. Now, TJ did not ride the Titan on my behalf. He he belittled me because I chickened out on it and rightfully so. But God's wrath is something that we as followers of Jesus should reflect on because it should draw and draw up in our hearts and out of our mouths a great just gratitude for what what the gospel communicates that we were rescued from wrath and so that's that's this first part although it's the end part of these two verses but it's the first part i wanted to hit on because we don't live in light of that very often now look at what else verse 10 says it says to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead so again just a reminder that you know jesus is not standing between us and like a mean vindictive father Uh, that was part of the plan jesus rescued us from god's wrath but those aren't like you know battling things (laughs) that's it says here that god the father raised the son from the dead Uh, so just a little little freebie right there But it says that the church in Thessalonica were waiting for the sun. They had their hope in this future reality, this, or I guess you could argue a present reality that's going to be in fullness in the future, that, that Jesus would make all things new, that Jesus would draw the church of Thessalonica into the kingdom uh, in its fullness. And I, and I just, I wonder how many of us as modern believers live in light of that. I know several years ago when I first moved to Vernon, I preached through First Thessalonians on Wednesday nights with our youth group. And kind of the tagline that we went with was living in light of the end. And it was uh, something that you're going to see throughout First Thessalonians as we walk through it together. But it's even right here, like the church in Thessalonica was known for its hope in the coming of Christ. It was known for its hope uh, at, at, as to what was going to happen at the end of time. And so it's just in a reminder for us, are we living in light of the end? Is our hope in a coming Savior? Or is our hope in Friday? We just want to make it to the weekend. Or is our hope in a relationship? Or is our hope in our children as we try and live vicariously through them? Is our hope in a political candidate like what are the things or is our hope in the the passing of a of a virus of a virus being uh, in the rearview mirror what is our hope in and i think we all can share experiences from our individual lives where everything but jesus everything but jesus is something that lets us down uh, that we all have had moments where we put our hope in something that's that's not constant that's not reliable, that is not the Lord. And so I pray that I grow, uh, the Spirit grows in me, a hope that's firmly based in the reality of Jesus's return, 
Now, we're not going to get off into the weeds of what that could look like. That'll probably happen in later episodes in chapters four and five. Um, but, But we know that at some point, Jesus will make all things new. And so uh, I want to, I desire to be the type of man who lives in light of that, that that's my hope. You know, tonight I get to go on a group date with some friends and, and I've been looking forward to it. You know, it's the end of the week uh, and, and it's something I've looked forward to, but my hope is not in some, you know, great experience tonight that's going to give me strength to keep moving forward. No, my, my hope is in Jesus. My hope is that he, through the uh, affirmation of the Father through the presence of the Spirit. That's what's going to give me the courage and strength to keep moving forward in ministry. So I just want to encourage you to think deeply about where your hope is in. And sometimes, guys, we need other people speaking life into our lives. I had a great opportunity uh, with a student just today. Uh, I've got a new high school student that's just last week asked me to start discipling him. And, and we had just a great conversation today that was beneficial for him, I believe, and definitely beneficial for me. We need one another. And so you may need to ask a friend. You might need to shoot a message uh, on Instagram and just say, hey, if you were to look at my life, what's my hope in? Because we have blind spots for sure. And so that that's verse 10. I, we're going to jump into idolatry here in a second, but first we got to go to a commercial break. In verse nine, Paul mentions how the church in Thessalonica was turning from idols to the living and true God. Now that is a picture of repentance. Repentance is not just saying, hey, sorry, God, for that. It's a turning from something and taking action steps to pursue something new, namely Jesus and his kingdom. And so Paul's mentioning, hey, you are, you've turned from false gods and you're turning to the living and true God. So Paul, even in passing, is acknowledging the, the false gods, the idols we worship, the idols that we put at the center of our lives and our schedules and our finances and our families. Those things have no power. It is only God alone, the God of the Bible, uh, that provides life and that is the source of truth. And so I think if we're all honest with ourselves, there are certainly idols in our lives that we are pursuing. Uh, Our country is full of gods, uh, full of them. We worship control. We worship security. We worship comfort. We worship entertainment. We worship political power. We worship many gifts that God gives that we've turned, uh, the enemies allowed those things to, to become the main thing in our life. And so that could be vacationing, that could be sports, that could be money, that could be uh, popularity in a small town. Like that is, uh, th- there's so many different idols that could be at the center of our hearts. And so one mind game I've done with myself before is, and I don't remember where I heard this originally, but just thinking through the idea of idolatry. And it was suggested to me, and it's been beneficial in my life, to think about what's the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing you think about before you go to bed. And and if it's not Jesus in the, the extension of his kingdom on earth, then there's probably something else that's the functional God in your life. Anyone can claim that Christ is on the throne of their hearts. But 
many of us live as if God was not number one in our lives. Many of us live as if these things of earth are the functioning savior that we pursue. And so we, like the church in Thessalonica, need to actively turn from idolatry and turn towards the Lord. Now, again, this is something that that oftentimes is not discernible on our own. That's why discipleship and deep Christian community, not just friends that, that claim Christ, but friends that will talk deeply about the, the matters of the heart, that will go um, past the line of just small talk into the deep things of the Lord. And so we need someone to look at our lives and say, hey, Nate, this is an idol I see in your life. Uh, I've had people do that for me on many an occasion, whether it be my wife or a friend in the church or a mentor. I need those things. I need those conversations. Now, the process of turning from idolatry is not pleasant. It is not something that is enjoyable. Uh, It can be painful to, to recognize that, hey, I've been living for something less than God. It can be a painful recognition. It can also be a painful process of removing it. Uh, I I know for a fact, just at different times in my life, as I've tried to uh, switch up, uh, try to adjust the way that I operate uh, my life, it's been painful. Uh, Just again, uh, so recently, uh, just to give a personal testimony of this, is I absolutely love to read and write and study God's Word. It is the th- the thing I would do 24 hours a day if I could. Like It is a passion of mine. And yet, even as you could hear in that statement, it can become the bedrock of my life, the center of why I'm on planet Earth. And I have to constantly remind myself a number of things that that I should be studying God's word and reading books on theology and writing and blogging and podcasting in order to commune with him and to make him known, not as an end in itself. But a danger in my love for reading and studying and writing is and sharing is that I can neglect other responsibilities in my life. And a couple of weeks ago, after a sermon on a Sunday morning here at my church, I had uh, just a wake-up call where my wife lovingly, gently, just sh- remind, like, kind of shone the light on the fact that in a bunch of downtime, uh, instead of having conversations with her, I would just grab a book. If there was any downtime in the evening, grab a book. Not having conversations with her or seeing how her day was going. And so that was extremely convicting. Uh, It's extremely painful to see that realization. And so I've been working on that. I I try, I've been trying recently to not even bring a book uh, home uh, or uh, leaving it on a bookshelf or when it comes to it, where there's, you know, we've had the conversations just asking, Hey, is it okay if I read? And that seems really goofy and trivial, but, but that for me, can be an idol. I love to learn and I love to uh, engage my intellect. And so uh, I don't know what that could look like for you, but again, those processes can be painful. Today, I went to the doctor and had a weird growth thing on my head removed. Uh, it was kind of nasty. <laughs> they asked if I wanted to keep it. I declined. Uh, but but before they uh, went to work on it, 
they said, hey, you are you don't appear too relaxed right now. And I was just candid. I was like, hey, you brought a needle into the room. So I'm not relaxed right now because I despise needles. So I guess this episode is just about my fears. Uh, but they numbed the region of my head and then removed it. But the the numbing process of sticking the needle, what felt like 17 feet into my <laughs> skull, was not enjoyable. And yet it was necessary. It was painfully necessary. And this was nothing more than like a wart. But had it been more serious, the pain of getting a needle in the head would have been worth it. So that the if it was something more major, that disease would not grow and affect my body. And it just got me thinking, like, that's the process of repentance. That's the process of turning from idols. It's not pleasant. It's not enjoyable. No one likes it. But it's beneficial for spiritual health. It's beneficial not just for the spiritual health of the the one, but the spiritual health of the community. Oftentimes, idolatry is contagious and communal, that the things we prioritize at the top of our schedules begin to be just the norm in the church, and much to my despair oftentimes, to be honest. And so we need to have those painful moments where work is done to remove something before it festers and grows in our hearts. And so again, I encourage you to have those conversations about idolatry. Now, I want to close with just a couple more things that is just a reminder of how massive and mighty God is. Because again, he mentions that God is true God and he's the living God. And he mentions elsewhere, not Paul, but scripture mentions elsewhere just how idols are not powerful. They, They cannot save us. They cannot provide for us the fullness of life we try and squeeze out of them. And I was studying, uh, not really studying, devotionally reading the Gospel of Mark earlier. And I like looking at the cross-references and just seeing certain themes that uh, prove that the Bible is one big story. But this is Isaiah 64, verses 1 and 2. And listen to this. came across this this afternoon. It says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. And that just struck me uh, as I was thinking about uh, the heavens being opened at the baptism of Christ. But, But this passage, Isaiah is saying, man, if you were to come down, earthquakes and fire would break out like crazy. And we see this in scripture. We see this in Exodus when God comes down on Mount Sinai. But but Paul's like, or sorry, Isaiah is like, this would be insane if you were to come down in your fullness. When heaven meets earth, nature can't handle the fullness of its creator. And I believe that the nations of men would quake in their boots if they saw God engage the world in his fullness. And we know that's coming. Again, we'll talk later about my personal opinion on those sort of things. But we know God in his fullness is coming. Now, again, he came in Christ in the form of a man. But we know his majesty will be on display and will cover the cosmos. And when that happens, I am grateful, again, that I'm hidden from the wrath of God because of Christ. 
this series on First Thessalonians has been based in uh, Chuck Swindoll's commentaries on First and Second Thessalonians. And I also have his study Bible, and his study Bible on this passage uh, just has this beautiful reminder, and I want to close with it. It says, you and I don't deserve eternal life. None of us do. But because of God's grace, we can count on deliverance through Jesus. Guys, if, you're, if you've made it to the end of this episode and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is the beautiful news that, is, uh, that we get to celebrate. That we don't deserve eternal life. And yet, because of God's grace, we don't have to fear the wrath of God. That we do get to receive eternal life in the presence of God for all of eternity. And so that is all of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm excited to keep going in future episodes. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to that episode. If you have any feedback for me or any questions about this episode, don't hesitate to reach out to me. And if you enjoyed it, uh, don't hesitate to share.